hearts and live what we're looking for. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray, Father, that as we get a chance to look at 2 Timothy, and as we look at these qualities, that we would understand, Father, you know it's fun to imagine what it would be like to advertise in the world using their techniques, that you have a way that is very clear and is powerful, and you have called us to it, and we're grateful. We pray, Father, that your word can be clear, move me out of the way, and that this can be a time where we can reflect and really follow the Spirit's guidance in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Turn your Bible to 2 Timothy in chapter 2. Just so you can get that place. And I'm going to have this. We're going to speak for about 20 minutes. And so I'm going to be right to the point to get your Bibles ready or your phones ready. And we're going to be mainly camping out in 2 Timothy 2. And I'll reference all the scriptures, but you can, you know... Just always look up the other scriptures and the like. But the rule, the one rule for spiritual outreach, of course it goes way back to when the Lord said, practice and teach these commands in, in Matthew chapter 5, is we ought to live what we are looking for. Practice and teach the very thing that we want to reach out for. We are the ground zero. We are the starting point. In other words, we are to begin the search for other men Personally, every act of love requires creative and personal giving, responding and serving appropriate to, context specific to, both the person doing the loving and the person being loved. Because of the totally personal, particular, and uniquely contextual community, the, the community dimensions involved in even the simplest act of love. That was a quote from Eugene Peterson, that idea that you can't really have love, you can't really have much of anything in God, unless it's personal, unless it's face-to-face. We can come to church, we can even be a part of our mission groups, and at times, we can still avoid personal interaction. I'll give you an example that for me, I, I've, I realize it's always helped me, no matter how big our church or our sector or what you want to call it gets, is when I come to church on Sunday, and a lot of you think like this, I don't come to church. I come and I'm looking for James. James Stevens, older, older brother who's not here right now. Um, I'm looking for Mel. I'm looking for uh, 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 Daniel. In other words, I'm thinking of the individuals that I know, and that's who I'm looking for. I'm not just coming to sit and hear pews. I know Maurice is going to be up there. That's easy. But for me, church is personal. And that is the most powerful and biblical thing we can do. To make sure that we start with us. In other words, it's personal, face-to-face ministry. Look up 2 John 1.12. You don't have to turn there, but please write that down. Where it's actually said, where the Apostle John says, Look, I have a lot of things I'd like to write, but I prefer to do it face-to-face. He says it twice. In, in, in I think 2 John also. Um, and it's personal face-to-face ministry that is able to convert, nurture, and sustain any new growth that we have in our fellowship. We have men going through some pretty intense stuff right in this room. And yet, we can still feel alone in a crowd. We need the kind of loyalty to Christ that nurtures and encourages and an individual loyalty. An individual loyalty to Antoine. An individual loyalty to Felix. An individual loyalty to, to, to Ryan. 
where our commitment to Christ has a name and a face to the men that we have in our fellowship right now. That is the most powerful thing that we can do to reach men for Christ. And I'm going to show in the scripture how it's about as biblical, about as spiritual as you can get. And the moment we get away from being personal, the moment we just about coming to church is about coming to church, about the brothers, like it's generic, like there's actually something called the brothers. The minute it becomes that and we lose names and faces is the minute we will, we will baptize, we'll grow, and they'll be out the door within six months. And I I can guarantee it because I've seen it happen many times. You ever heard the old that's not my job story? I just read it if you haven't. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it. But nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. That's the danger of a ministry that's not personal. In contrast to this, a personal ministry, a face-to-face ministry, is able to nurture and to sustain the new growth that we're going to have. So, as we look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to go through this. And you can just hold on to this for Bible study. This is very convicting for me. And I try to just stick to the text. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 7. If we are able to be men who live face to face with one another, we are called to be men who are strong, men who are trustworthy, men who struggle. I want to put the, make the word struggle not a bad thing. Men who struggle and men who are passionate. Um, let's read that. Verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on them and reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. First point, as we break it down in verse 1, men who are strong, he says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We got to be strong as men, amen? Amen. We got to be strong. Give me a strong amen. Amen. Uh, We can be a little stereotypical. We think strength, I'm not talking macho. The Bible's not talking macho. The Bible's talking about a Christ-centered strength that's not like the world. Men who are strong in the grace, strong in the grace of Christ Jesus, is very different from men who are strong. There's a lot of guys out there we could say are physically strong, even emotionally strong. They've gone through some pretty intense things in their lives. But, but Paul urging Timothy as a young minister and standard for what men could be like in his fellowship to be men who are strong in grace. What does strong in grace look like? Being strong in grace is focusing in, being rooted in the message of Jesus and the cross personally. That we understand personally that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Grace is real to us. And it's growing. And these qualities, I want you to look at it this way. These are qualities I believe we are already doing. 
I'm pointing out to you things that I believe that we're already doing. But you know, sometimes it's good to, to, it's good to know what you're doing right so you don't lose it. If you know what I'm talking about? It's almost like you make something and you don't keep the recipe and you don't know how to do it again. I want you to encourage you. I believe that this is what makes the Bronx ministry the Bronx ministry. So it, consider it more of a reminder and encouragement that this is what we're going to need. So number one, being strong in the grace, some aspects of it. Number one, grace embraces weakness. No more pretending that to be strong in the grace being means being a man who is vulnerable, who struggles and, and struggled and is transparent with their sin and their faults. We're transparent with our fears, our failures, our temptations. We're willing to live a life of full disclosure. No secrets, nothing hidden. Now look, we know all we can do because it's by grace we're saved. When we sin, the only thing we can do is bring our sin to God and ask forgiveness. That's all we can do. So we don't have to worry about looking good all the time. Because we all understand, we all got dirt. No more pretending is a powerful thing. Vulnerability is the key. Right now, we're in a current wave of exposure of the sexual misconduct and abuses committed by powerful men, which institutions have systematically hidden for years. Look, Charlie Rose. Oh, you guys weren't shocked. I was shocked. Okay, everybody else, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But Charlie Rose, he just seemed, he seemed like a nice guy. But the truth is this. That's just how we are. Um, our nature as men is that, look, we're sexually predators. Our flesh, let's be honest. No, I guess I'm the only one. Well, I'm sexually predators. That's a burden every man in this room is burdened with. Even if you're struggling to be cured, there's a part of you that is a sexual predator. I think in the world, that's why men tend to naturally hate being transparent. I think our, our sexual nature craves secrecy. We crave privacy so we can do what we want to do. But men who are strong in the grace live an open life. Open life. Men who are strong in the grace keep things about love, not programs, plans, systems, or names on a membership list. We make commitments to one another, which is personal and by name. Personal relationships and intimacies are not avoided, but remain personal. Grace is always bigger than your group. Whose list you on, what sector you're in, it's always personal. Love rules. One Paul's view on that very clear. Look at First Corinthians 13. He makes it clear. Grace, strong in the grace. Grace teaches us true courage, not fitting in with the world by avoiding pain. You can note Second Corinthians 11 verse 26. Second Corinthians 11:26. Being willing to face painful situations and face hateful opposition for the sake of love. Uh, being that kind of person who always is willing to go against their nature and be uncomfortable. That they're not realize that look, life is going to be challenging and they're going to have, we're going to have the courage to run towards the very things that most men in the world avoid. Such as, like we talked about, most men in the world avoid being open, like I do. Most men in the world avoid faithfulness to one woman. They avoid it like the plague. Most men in the world, and I was one, and we're, we're still men, we avoid sticking to anything for any length of time. You know, even a job. We, we just, you know, jump out, whatever it is. But the men in this room have courage. Because we face the things that are uncomfortable, that are challenging. Whether it's raising our children, husbands to our wives, sticking with a job, fighting to, to, to be in a ministry at times, but you don't like the brothers you're with. But you have the courage to face the pain. That's the example that grace taught us in the cross. 
He's willing to suffer because he loves. Strong in the grace means grace redefines defeat. Not always having to be the winner. Being willing to be defeated if it means others can benefit. Being willing to look bad. Being willing to give up your rights for greater need. Being willing to lose an argument. Be wrong to keep a relationship. Men who are strong in the grace will sometimes look defeated. Look at 1 Corinthians 6-7 where Paul actually says, Look, rather than go to court against the brother, take the loss. Which is, that's not fair. What are you talking about? Get your money from that guy. And Paul said, look, same way Christ was defeated for a better cause. There's some things we got to lose. Instead of always having to win that argument with your wife, you can do two things. You can be right or you can be in a relationship. And men who are strong in the grace will sometimes take a defeat. They look a little humiliated, but because they love. And finally, men who are strong in the grace always have hope. Trusting that our unmet desires and expectations will be met by God. Uh, we never have that feeling, and I had this feeling this week, of uh, why bother the teacher anymore? That feeling of, look, we all have hopes and prayers that could easily become points of despair. Hopes that we're like, man, it's been so long. Look, we may have struggled with our children and family members who don't know Christ. We may have struggled with wives and marriages we struggle with. We, have, we may have emotional struggles that we just can't seem to get out of. But men who are strong in the grace always have hope. The cross, the spirit of God, who they are in God, always inspires them. No matter how big that unmet need may be, love is unhopeful always there. Those are the strong men that I believe you are. The reason why most of us are still here is we have these qualities. And the reason why we're going to still be here is if we hold on to these qualities. And this is what we're looking for. I want to give you a challenge. Memorize scripture. Figure out what scripture for you best helps you to keep your focus on what's really important about our message. Whether that's Philippians 2, whether that's uh, Galatians, Galatians 2.12, whatever that scripture that really brings the cross home for you, get that in your soul. That will help you be strong in the grace. Two, we need to be men who are trustworthy. Notice it said, trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. The message of Christ was a priority that Paul urged Timothy to entrust to those who can pass it on. The greatest priority for Paul was the message. The word used for entrust implies personal interactions and relationships. And this is from, you know, you look up the Greek in the word, which I love to do on BibleHub.com. You look up the word trust. It doesn't just mean like teaching in a lecture hall. Like this is not what he means in trust. When, when Paul said it, he meant you have the kind of relationship where you pass on the message to somebody else who will be able to teach others. Um, and, but it had to be that qualifier. It had to be reliable men. Reliable men. Um, look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 15 through 18. I want to look at an example of unreliable men that we're going to make sure we avoid. And some agree verses um, 1 Timothy 1, verse 16, 15 through 18. Here's some, some examples of unreliable men. Some agree that nice and loud and fast. Who's good? Mm-hmm. 15 through 18. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including the ablest and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of how do I say that? One of four is four. Mm-hmm. Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he when he was in Rome. 
searched hard for me until he, until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in the feast. Amen. I love it. So it's funny, just before Paul gives some, you know, some good examples, and he said for us with a great example of a reliable man. Unfortunately, I hate to be these guys, my jealous and homogenous names are forever noted as being the guys who kind of bailed on the Apostle Paul. But the reliable men who are strong in the grace, let me tell you, they make the best friends. And when I say best friends, I don't mean like BFF. I'm talking about the best friends. You know, the friends that you want because reliable men. The men that we are in this room, we don't desert each other when we're in distress. When we go through hard times, we're there. When the deaths happen, when the struggles happen, reliable men are there right next to you in the trenches. May not be able to fix everything, but they're there. Reliable men refresh those in the battle. And I'm going to give it one thing I want to know here. You notice how Paul was really encouraged by this guy, Onesiphorus, really encouraged. This is a great fire-breathing Paul, right? Please do not assume your mission group leader, deacons, evangelists are always doing well. One of the worst things that can happen in a fellowship is to assume your leadership doesn't need encouragement and just sometimes asking them how you're doing. Reliable men refresh those in battle. Paul was refreshed by this guy in Lisa Forrest. We'll never know anything else about him other than his weird name. But we do know he was a reliable man who refreshed the apostle just by being there for him. And they make the best friend because reliable men are not ashamed of standing out with those who are associated with Jesus. They'll never keep, no matter how bad you may look, if you're a disciple, they're with you. We want those kinds of friends in our fellowship. Also, he says they're qualified to teach. There are men who can communicate truths to another. Of course, some will be more gifted than others. In the context, this meant that there are some who are not able to teach others. Timothy was to be in a purposeful relationship with those men he could entrust with the message. So in context, Paul is talking about there are some men who are usually gifted to teach. You know, teach large groups and all that kind of stuff, and that's true. But... Can, can everybody here share what God has done in your life? Everybody say amen if it's true. You are qualified to teach. Now you may not be qualified to teach a college level theology course. You may not be the best preacher for 20, 30 minutes. But if you can share what Christ has done in your life, you are a man who is qualified to teach. We have to be faithful have some have our basic faculties, and the only issue is degree. Some of you teach hundreds, some of you only teach that one person that you really reach out to. But we're all qualified to teach. I want to encourage you, stick close to a few if you want to really grow in teaching others, which is going to be the running theme we're going to. Having those few close relationships that keeps your faith personal. Number three, men who are strong are men who struggle. Does that mean the reason we're struggling there? He's struggling. Oh, and look at Carlos. He's struggling. He's struggling again. Now, the reason always, it's just, what does struggle mean usually? We say he's struggling. What do we mean? But what does it mean? I'm struggling. Antoine's struggling. Antoine is what? Weak. 
In, oh, just innocent. Struggling means I'm on the internet every day masturbating my head off. He's struggling. I can talk like that, right? That's, ain't no kids. Okay, good. That's what we mean. Right? Something, really, something really embarrassing usually. Uh, you know, not a ham. But I want to take that away. It, it, it's really not the use of the word. No. To make forcible or violent efforts to get free of restraints or constrictions. To make forcible or violent efforts. I like that. To get free of restraints. Struggle is good. And I'm going to use a bit. Look in, in verse 3 of our main text. He said, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, no one's serving as a soldier. No one's serving as an athlete. No one's serving as a hard-working farmer. He gives an example of a man under orders in the military. Roman military at that. A man competing by the rules to win these intense Grecian games back in the day. And then the hard-working farmer, group farmer, who gets the first one to share. He gives these three examples. Um, I think that Paul used these three examples to illustrate living the Christian life. Probably to make sure that Timothy didn't fall into the trap of being like the other professional teachers and philosophy teachers of the day. You know, the guys, nice ministers. Like, so he gave like, you know that people that show dirty jobs? He gave three dirty jobs. All three of those jobs that require blood, sweat, and tears. And they're not sitting in an office in a neat white shirt. And he gave those three. Um, and I think struggle literally to the point of blood, sweat, and tears. If there's any doubt as to what being a faithful man looked like, these three analogies clear the fall. So if you want to look at, man, what does it really mean to be faithful as a man of God, as a disciple? Just think about and meditate on those three careers, which are pretty much have changed through the millennia. And you have a great example of it. Perhaps the question to ask is this. If I were to live as a farmer, soldier, athlete, the way I live as a disciple, what would my farming look like? If you were to live as a farmer, the way we live as a disciple, the way you live as a disciple, I live as a disciple, what would it look like? What kind of farmer would you be? What kind of soldier would you be? I think sometimes I'd be that soldier, you know, I have to go out there and I'll, I'll be polishing my boots for hours. I'm getting ready to go down. I'm almost there. You know, I'll be part of, maybe some of us would be having tea with the enemy. You know, we talked it over. You know, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe some of us would be, I don't know. But think about that. If you think about your discipleship, if it was switched into you being a farmer, what would it look like? Or a soldier? Or an athlete? What would that possibly look like? So if you ever have any doubts, look to those three careers. And Paul actually tells us, Spirit tells us, meditate on these things and Jesus will give you insight. So I want to encourage you, try it. You know, watch a documentary on a farmer's life, a soldier's life, or an athlete's life. And you will, it, it's, it's amazing. Like, you're sitting there going, wow. You know, this is no joke. And finally, men who are passionate. Look at verse 10. He says, therefore I endure what? Verse 10. Therefore I endure. So one time, uh, Ernest got it. Therefore I endure. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. You catch up. You got a phone call on the phone. Therefore I endure. For the sake of the elect, that they too may attain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul suffered for the future church. 
For those who he knew, and we didn't know, we had no idea where they would come from, but he knew they were already out there. He was always looking ahead. Paul saw his suffering as necessary, and never as a way to just be tough on himself or earn his salvation. He was not in a crisis mode based on the latest push from Jerusalem. It was his conviction. He was always thinking, there's more. There's more. His passion was rooted in the actual need that was out there. I think Paul was what they call an 80-20 thinker. He wasn't just busy for the sake of being busy. Any more than a farmer likes, you know, unnecessary bending and lifting. You know, just for the fun of it. I think, or an athlete, like Paul talks about swinging at the air. I think Paul did things basically because he knew it made a real difference. Even in the lives of people he didn't know yet. And that's where his passion was. Paul had no limits to any personal inconveniences for the, quote, elect. He loved them before he knew them. Passion was rooted in compassion. In other words, his compassive zeal didn't come from, we're going to have a big push! That wasn't where his zeal came from. His zeal came from a deep love for people, even the people he, he, he knew he didn't know yet, because he knew there were other people who were ready. And he loved him so much, it was kind of wild, it pushed him and it motivated him. I don't think Paul worked one second more than he needed. I don't think he liked pain. I think he did it because he knows this will get somebody. This will get this guy. When I find that person, if I can just take this beacon one more time, they're going to see this and they're going to be open. Look, the whole palace guard is aware that I'm in change for Christ. Like that, that mindset was really because he loved people. That's where his passion came from. It was from a deep compassion. I want to challenge this. As we get ready for this whole manuary thing, which is just going to be fun, I think it's going to be a need. The hardest thing, I'm going to say is this, making time in our schedule. Most of, if anybody here have like a lot of books, just a lot of books, any like crazy book people. I have a library. One of the hardest things is, once you get to a point, you try and fit one more book in something, or it's like having a drawer that's overloaded with stuff. And a lot of times, people, when we have something, we have a chance to really reach out to new faces. Our schedules are already booked to the T. We got every second squeezed. And so the challenge is going to be that if somebody walked through those doors or is here right now as I'm speaking, and they are ready to become a Christian, my challenge is let's be ready to be inconvenienced. Let's be ready. When Frederick got baptized, I know that Jane, the, um, George was inconvenienced. It took time. It took, normally I'd be doing this, but because of Frederick, I'm going to be doing this. I want us to get ready to have that kind of passion and compassion for people that we're willing to endure whatever it's going to take. Not to be busy, not to impress anybody, but because we know it's going to make a difference in that brother, future brother's, that future brother's life. And so guys, if we're these kind of men, the Spirit of God is going to do what the Spirit of God has always done, what the Spirit of God always does and continues to do, and really help us become the men we need to be. Look at verse 8, and we're going to close out with this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. I would like you to do so. If we could all stand up. And we're going to close with a prayer. And 
Whether your Bible is in your phone or you got a good old-fashioned paper Bible, like Dwayne, a real Bible, no offense, real Bible, <laughs> I'd like you to hold your Bible up, hold it up, and say with me with conviction, like Paul could say, this is my gospel. This is this my gospel. This is our gospel. Why? Because we are going to be looking to the master of the harvest. Say again, this is my gospel. This is my gospel. Because we are doing this for our commanding officer. This is my gospel. Because we are doing it to win a crown given by the master. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask you that every man here, we can be reminded to remain strong in the grace of Christ. Father, I pray that you would enable us to be men who are strong in that grace, to be men who are trustworthy, who are faithful in what we do, to be men who struggle, who are willing to be inconvenienced to push ourselves, not to be busy or to be tough, but because we know every bit of sweat, every bit of exertion will make a difference in somebody's life. Every, every time we put something in our schedule when we're tired, it's going to make a difference. Help us to be men who are passionate. Men who actually love people. And it's seen because we love the people that are already in this room. We're the kind of friends that are there. We're the kind of friends that nobody here will ever feel alone in this fellowship. We love you. Thank you for the honor to share your word. Be with us as we get ready to go through this week. And we have an excellent time next week um, with the, the um, little potluck we're going to be having next week. Father, help us to be the men we need to be as we reach out to men in our neighborhoods. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.